Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, you're listening to The Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette, and joining me, as always, is Joshua Gray. Good doing, afternoon, sir? John. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing or well. morning for our listeners or whenever they're they're listening to this. That's the great thing about podcasts. You can listen to it any time of the day. Anytime. Multiple times yeah. if you want. Hey, make sure you uh, download and share it. And, you know. Just do it from a different source so our numbers look good. That's all we ask. <laughs> so this week we have a lot of great stuff to go over. Um, but first I want to get into uh, a pretty hot topic here. At, you know, as always, we're talking about COVID. But... Um, we had our very first uh, mass vaccine event here this past weekend. Josh and I were both on hand to uh, to kind of help out, and uh, a lot of a lot of veterans came out. But we're you know we're looking to get more for this weekend. So um, it's ages sixty five and up right now mm-hmm. for all enrolled veterans, and it's for first doses only. So if you already gotten your second dose, make sure you just come to your normal appointed time to get your second dose. Um, but yeah. This Saturday will be the second follow-up for that, and we're looking to get as many as possible. Last, I think last weekend we sat around about five to 600 Something doses. Something like that, that yeah. The, the thing that's neat about this is it's walk-ins, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're out there and you're wondering when it's going to be your time and you're tired of waiting for that phone call and you're an enrolled veteran and you're 65 or an older, Saturday, walk in. That's it. Yeah. That's all you got to do. Walk in. So it starts at 7 o'clock. Uh, that's when they'll start doing the first doses at 7 o'clock sharp. And it's going to go based on a first-come, uh, 1st first serve basis. And they'll close at 5.30 or until they run out of supplies for the day, which uh, I don't know if that's going to happen because they, they they stocked up for quite a few. So, you know. The challenge has been issued. Yeah. Run us out of vaccine. <laughs> do it. We know you can do it. So, again, 65 and older, um, that's, you know, that's the target demographic we're trying to hit right now. We just started doing that, that age group last week. And... Uh, like I said, good turnout, but we know we've got more veterans out there. So if you you haven't gotten your vaccine yet, make sure you come on down this weekend. So joining us this week, we have two very special guests that are here for the first time. We have Dr. Monica Rollinson-Mainer and Dr. Marion Tan. And they are here representing the primary care section, which is, I mean, really the bread and butter of what we do here. So welcome, ladies. Happy to have you on the show. Hi. Hi. So, thank you for having us. Absolutely. So... Dr. Uh, Rollinson Mater, we'll, call, we'll go Dr. Monica, probably easier. Um, you're the chief of administrative medicine, correct? Yes, yes, that is correct. And Dr. Tan is the acting chief of primary care. Yes, I am. So you guys are really like the <laughs> the ones in the know for everything primary care related here at the hospital. Absolutely. So just for, for those of us who are unfamiliar, what exactly does primary care mean? So primary care entails basically taking care of patients and veterans that um, have chronic medical conditions via diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. But in addition to taking care of those types of um, conditions, we also provide preventive services as well. So taking care, doing your cancer screenings, doing your um, diabetic foot checks, eye screenings, all of those things that entail primary care, and not just male veterans, our female veterans as well, um, we take care of them too through our designated women's health providers at each one of our primary care clinics. And they provide uh, 
mammogram. We provide mammograms. We provide cervical cancer screening. So osteoporosis, I think a lot of times people forget about osteoporosis too. That's right. So those are the types of screenings that we, when we're talking about primary care, we're talking about taking care of the whole being, body, uh, body, mind, and spirit. So really, in, in terms of like a civilian or you know, active duty military, uh, it's like a checkup. It can be, yeah. It can be a checkup. So some people are seen once a year. Some people are seen once every 18 months. Some people we see every six to four to six months, just depending upon the medical conditions that we're taking care of. So ma'am, you said you, you used to work up at the family health clinic at, at Nellis. So is, is for veterans who maybe like myself, like I've never really been seen outside of, of the military healthcare system. Uh, for those veterans, how, how close to that is what they're used to? Does the military use that same model uh, so if I was being seen in the Air Force and I got out and I come here, is it going to be something that's familiar to me or is this something a little bit different? Uh, the model is very similar with regards to your um, primary care provider and a team that surrounds them. That includes your nurses, your um, pharmacists, um, any other uh, supplemental health care that you may need. So those, that, that's pretty much the kind of uh, foundation foundational services that we have. So very similar to what I had over at Nellis, which uh, actually made it very easy to transition over to the VA. A lot of the processes were the same. And um, kind of fun fact, the uh, medical records, VISTA is built off of, um, from Nellis is the same type of medical record that we built off here at at, uh, the VA. So it's easy to make that kind of transition. So is that primary care model the same thing that you would see out in the community when, when you're talking about, um, you know, if I go to if I go to Spring Valley Hospital or something like that, is it the same kind of thing? So I would say that there's a lot of differences when it comes to how we're dealing with patients and veterans alike in the in our section as compared to the community setting. One of the things that is big difference is that I can notice a lot of multidisciplinary support. I've got a pharmacist that's available to help me out, a social worker that's available to help me out, even transitioning over and getting a mental health provider. I can actually easily get somebody there to be seen same day. As compared to in the private sector, when we try to get that, we might not have that additional support available. And something else in the private sector, I think, too, is the um, lack of the ability of the primary care provider to place consults to other services. We've had some providers that have joined us in the primary care service, and they comment on the fact of, oh, I can place this consult to neurology. I don't have to go through the insurance company to do that. And no, we are providing that service to our veterans um, directly from their primary care provider, the person who knows them the best. So what drives that that change that, or that that difference between the the outside market and then what the VA does it just is it just because we're federal and we don't have to deal with insurance or uh, what 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 what's the the cause behind that I think that the VA has recognized that um, the continuity of care, having these services available and having the ability for me to go down the hallway and speak to the neurologist face to face if I need to um, is a uh, factor that does help to promote the overall care. Our veterans are a unique set of of people that we see. There are conditions that you see in veterans that you don't see in the general population. They've had exposures to certain elements and areas that most most of the population haven't had. But here in the VA, you have a collection of physicians, nurse practitioners, and physician's assistants who have seen these challenges and seen these types of conditions, and they study these things. And that helps to relay what we might 
uh, see as a veteran versus what we would see in the general population. One of the things that I really like about it is the fact that for me as a primary care physician, I want to be able to take care of my patients. But the problem is that there's only so much time that I have available in one setting to sit there and be able to discuss all of the needs. So in order to utilize my resources, I can say, hey, you know, I really do see that we have some issues where we have to deal with diabetes, but let me get you in with our dietitian to help you out with that. Or let me have my pharmacist come talk to you and help with medication adjustments so that I can spend more time focusing on you as a whole. How important is that that teamwork aspect, you know, being able to just reach out to a dietitian who might be just like two floors down or to reach out to mental health who's just, you know, a short walk through the same building? It's extremely important. And what one of the big things about it is that we hear from our veterans. They'll say, oh, yeah, you know, a lot of the times what I will see is patients will come to me and they'll say, I have these issues going on. And here's what I would like to address with my primary care. But when it comes to the diet, they'll say, oh, I'll just go talk to my dietitian because I have an appointment with her um, next week. Mm -hmm. Or if they'll say, you know, I've been having some side effects associated with these medications, but I do have an appointment because you sent me up with the pharmacist. So I'll just discuss it when I talk to them. Now let's talk about some of the other needs that I have. So with COVID being the, you know, the, the big challenge that every healthcare system has dealt with over the last year, um, you know, a lot of our normal procedures, a lot of our face-to-face care kind of had to change over the last year. Um, you know, a lot of appointments were, you know, initially either postponed or canceled because of COVID. Um, what did you guys do at that time, you know, say go back to March? What kind of things were done to address those issues? So one of the things that we did, um, primary care actually never closed when it came to continuing care for our veterans. Now, granted, during the initial stages of COVID, we had to convert a lot of our visits from face-to-face traditional to our video visits or phone calls. And the main thing was just making sure that not only do we keep our veterans safe, but we keep our staff safe so that we could make sure that we could continue to care for our veterans. Um, I'm very fortunate to work in a facility where they provided us with the necessary materials like the protective equipment that are needed in order for me to continue to care for the veterans. And in addition to that, you know, yes, granted, Um, Video visits and phone visits may not have the same traditional approach as a face-to-face appointment, but we were still able to maintain the care of our veterans and continue with caring for them even despite the COVID situation that was going around. And I think one of the things that we did to adapt to uh, delivering care through video visits is we took time to actively learn how do we do a musculoskeletal exam, an exam of the shoulder using a video, having the patient Mm -hmm. using their iPad. And I think it was... Um, In the beginning, some of our veterans were a little leery with doing the video visits, but when we relate it to them is, do you FaceTime your grandkids? Do you FaceTime your family? Yes, okay, let's FaceTime your doctor. And it also gave gave us the opportunity to get a window into what was going on at the veteran's house, home. We got to see, meet family members. We got to see animals. You know, they didn't have to bring all of their medications to us. They could just go line them up. So I think that um, by our, our facility and our service being receptive to delivering medical care through video, it allowed the veterans to become more comfortable with it, and it helped to open up a lot of different aspects, I think, in care that we hadn't really had an opportunity to see before. So when you talk about developing the processes yourself, is, is that something you had to develop yourself to, to use an iPad to do those exams? Or, or was that something that there's already 
somebody had already come up with and you were just implementing it? Because I can't really imagine you can just go, hey, Siri, how do I do, a, how do, I do an exam over an iPad, right? So, yeah, so um, uh, one of the things about our facility is we were actually um, moving forward with increasing the number of Video Connect visits that we were, we were using. So we were, we kind of had one foot in the, in the game already before the COVID really took a hold of our country. So as we realized that we were going to have to make these transitions, we do not believe in reinventing the wheel. We went on YouTube. <laughs> we went to YouTube and we looked up shoulder exams and we found those uh, exams that we uh, could do. And we showed those at our all staff meetings and our primary care meetings and gave them links and just to try to make everyone be more comfortable with the delivering care. And it's, you know, again, even for our providers who were not as comfortable with using the uh, these uh, methods, we have a uh, tele uh, um, telehealth coordinator, champion coordinator, Miss um, Hetty and Swanson, who recently won a national award mm-hmm. for her efforts in uh, in assisting us with standing this up. So she has been very instrumental. She would go out and sit with the um, providers, with the nurses anyone to show them how to navigate these uh, the challenges that they may have in court uh, and have come against with using VVC and help them to navigate that and become stronger. So she was really, really instrumental in helping us uh, during this time. I actually do want to give a special shout out to our nurse practitioner, Hetty and Swanson. She received the Video Connect Distinguished Leader Award. This was actually a national award for the entire um, VA um, in the entire country. She was only one of five people who received that award. So. That's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I know that we, we've done some big things over the last year as far as, as implementing a lot of that VVC stuff. And, you know, even a year on, um, you know, we've we've reopened a lot of our and expanded a lot of our face-to-face care, but that's going to be something that I think is going forward going to be a great tool to keep in our, you know, in our toolbox. Absolutely. And- I've had some patients who will say, they're like, you know, can we keep these visits as um, my usual routine, just follow up, but then I'll come in once a year for the face-to-face visits, but mm-hmm. I like being in the comfort of my own home. You know, a lot of the patients who will come in and they'll say, oh, my blood pressure is high because I'm just sitting in the clinic. And then we have them check their blood pressures when they're at home in their normal range. Um, like what Dr. Monica was saying earlier, I've run through medications and they'll be sitting in the clinic saying, I can't remember what medication I'm taking. But when they're on a video appointment, they'll say, let me just run to my cupboard and my medicine cabinet and let me open it and here. And they show in mm-hmm. the camera, they'll say, this is what I'm taking. And it's better than you know coming to a face-to-face appointment. I'm like, well, I'm not really sure. I have to go back and look. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's... Yeah. And then the other thing, too, um, that the video appointments have allowed is for our veterans who may live in rural areas. We are, even though we're Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're this big metropolitan city, we have a lot of veterans that live in in very rural areas and communities. And with the use of the video visits, it has allowed us the opportunity to deliver them care without them having to travel and drive um, from Overton, Nevada, or Mesquite um, to come Absolutely. see us here, to see us here. So that has been helpful as so, well. So when I first started working at the VA, one of the first things I did as part of our public public affairs staff was we did a, we did a town hall out in Perum. And we had a we had a hall full of people and almost all of them didn't want to do telehealth they wanted to have doctors there have you seen and if you have how much have you seen that mindset kind of shift now that uh now that that people are forced into it and do you see those people who are very anti before are they now very pro for it now 
Well, I thank you for asking this because I actually delivered healthcare to our Laughlin veterans through uh, through telehealth for about nine months, and I actually filled in, and Dr. Tan fills in as well in Corrupt for actually. telehealth. <laughs> and, what, and what the comments that I have received when uh, performing the telehealth visits with the veterans is, oh, this was just like um, a visit with you when you were here. Oh, we got as much done because I'm still listening to the hearts and lung. I'm still able to look in their ears. And they actually felt like they got a little bit more because we get a little bit more time when those telehealth visits are there. So um, I have found that it all depends on the experience that we deliver and give to the veteran. And that could be face-to-face even. You have some veterans who don't want to come in face-to-face because they don't want to walk through a, a they have PTSD or they have, may have some issues that keep them from being around crowds. And they, they have started to convert over to those VVC visits. So I think it's all about the experience. You have a bad experience face-to-face, you're not going to want to come face-to-face either. So that's been my... I agree. I'm in total agreement with that. I mean, like, Yes, you'll have the encounter where you had a veteran who had a poor experience with regards to the video visit. And it takes a little bit more time to just sit through and say, let's try this again. Let's see how it works. And once you talk them through and um, guide them as to how to actually perform the visits, they're like, oh, it's this easy. I just have to click on this and that's it. This works. Okay, I can do this the next time around. Um, And same thing, especially in Pahrump, when... um, you know, we give them the offer, like, you can come over to the the valley area, Las Vegas, and drive. They're like, I don't want to drive that far away. And then you have that experience where you're sitting, yes, you may be on a monitor, um, but you're still able to provide that same care. And they're like, wait, you're listening to my heart through the computer? And <laughs> they they appreciate it. I, and after that, they're like, okay, I can do this. I'll, I'll come back for my next follow-up visit. And um, they're very appreciative of the care that they're receiving. And yeah. I, I found too, it also helped with a little bit of connection with the telehealth visits because you have to actually stop and focus and listen and pay attention to what they're saying to you. Take a more in-depth history. So I found that, you know, you're able, the, the patient is looking directly at you, even though it's on a monitor, but they're paying you a little bit more attention when they have that telehealth monitor there providing that care. Well, it's good to know that the attitudes have shifted on that and that you're still able to maintain that level of, of personal care that, that people come to expect from their healthcare provider. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and we'll take a look at some of the many reasons why it's important that you see your primary care provider soon. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, 
Your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can. But it's just as important to take time for yourself. AARP can help. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome back to the Nine Line Podcast. John and Josh here with Dr. Monica and Dr. Tan, and we're talking about primary care. Now, primary care, you guys you know, run the gamut of all sorts of different things that you cover, um, but a lot of our, our veterans are, you know, 40 or older, some of them, you know, even senior citizens. You know, there's a lot of things that we need to make sure that we're looking out for, um, you know, for preventative health. What are some of the things that you guys recommend that veterans get screenings when they come for primary care? Well, that's a, a, a long list, but one of the things that we are definitely focused on is just mainly, mainly preventing um, of any additional diseases or worsening of medical conditions. As Dr. Men- Monica mentioned, we, like, we deal with a lot of chronic medical conditions such as diabetes, hypertension, high blood pressure, hyperlipidemia, all of that. Um, one of the things we want to do is prevent them from worsening. So coming in and doing your annual blood test just to check and make sure that everything looks good. But in addition to that, um, we also go over a lot of the cancer screenings. Um, that includes the most common cancers that we can early detect and also treat if we catch it early enough. Um, cervical cancer screenings for our women veterans, uh, breast cancer screening, colon cancer screening, and even lung cancer screening. Those are some main screening tools that we have available. If you come see your primary care provider, they'll be, if you're at that age range, they will be recommending that you undergo some of those screening tests. In addition to that, um, immunizations are a big key. As you mentioned earlier, the COVID vaccine clinic that's up and running. Um, We have other immunizations available, such as the flu vaccine that you're supposed to get annually, pneumonia vaccines, hepatitis, uh, even for um, our younger veterans, the HPV vaccine to prevent um, the cervical cancer that's going on. Um, And then in addition to that, shingles. So there are a lot of things that are ongoing right now um, that we're trying to do to help promote health and wellness and prevent uh, worsening of medical conditions. And in addition to those screenings, um, some that may not be mentioned as commonly is um, screening for abdominal aortic aneurysm, or also known as a triple A. That's something that can be catastrophic if it's left undetected. Screening for osteoporosis through bone density testing. Both of those are done through simple one x-ray and another through an ultrasound. So that's something that we also look to. And not only our physical being, but our mental beings as well. So we also do screenings for depression. We do screenings for PTSD. We also do screenings for um, social and social economic factors such as housing, um, food insecurity. So we try to again focus on the entire person and not just the medical side. That that seems like you know we ask you what kind of screenings you do, and the answer is yes, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. But what kind of screening do you want? <laughs> but like, say, I'm a recent transition, transition veteran. So I you know, left active duty military, got out. I get my, my care here at the VA. Now, you know, early mid-30s, still try to keep active, try to maintain a decent diet. But 
obviously, as I'm getting older, there's certain things I should probably be aware of and, and, and you know be on the lookout for. Um, you know, why why is it important that I just you know I come in for checkups and and I come into my primary care besides just when I'm feeling hurt or sick? So one of the things that we really worry about and we get concerned about is um, you know. If you don't come in for these early screenings, early detection is the key. And a lot of the times people wait until the last minute and they only come in when they're already starting to have symptoms. And the big fear about that is by that time, we don't want it to turn into this is too late. Um, so the reason why these screening procedures and protocols are in place and the guidelines are in place are to detect early enough so that we can catch it and prevent it from getting worse or actually prevent it entirely. So what are, you know, one topic that's come up quite a bit uh, throughout the pandemic is stress. You know, a lot of people, who, even if people haven't gotten sick, um, there's a lot of added stressors that have come up with uh, unemployment or just, you know, caring for loved ones, what have you. Um, how does stress come, you know, play into affecting the general health and what you guys are screening for and looking for? So we have found that um, a lot of our veterans have um, expressed that they the COVID-19 nationwide emergency has sometimes drummed up some old emotions that they didn't know were still there. And so as a result, we partnered very closely with our behavioral health services that we had here, um, utilizing our peer support group. And what peer um, peer support group is, is those are veterans who have either had the same or similar challenges as other veterans, and they contact the veteran one-to-one and have that discussion with them. But also we um, implemented and developed processes with our uh, PCMHI, which is our primary care mental health integration specialists, which are a member of the primary care team, to develop a system to do what are called warm handoffs while we're there with that veteran to to tell them this is the issue that we're having. We want to make sure that we connect you guys today. And we would either transfer the patient via phone or have them join our VVC appointment and we would step away and step out of that VVC visit. So we have noticed a slight uptick in some of the utilization of services for veterans, not only for Um, uh, behavioral health services, but also some physical um, ailments. Blood pressures have been a little bit higher as of late. Um, (laughs) Slightly more headaches, we've noticed. Um, And then also with people having time to be at home, I think COVID has given them the opportunity to think about their overall health. And we've noticed, you know, sometimes we might get that phone call of, hey, I've had this mole here for about three years now, but, you know, I've been home looking at it. Can can I come (laughs) in or can we take a look at it? So I think COVID has given everyone that time to to pause and to do some kind of reflection and introspection on how their um, health has been, how their mental health has been, how their physical health has been. And they've been reaching out to our our PAC teams and their primary care providers more regularly um, to have that discussion, to ask questions. COVID-19 has given us the opportunity when people that we haven't heard from for maybe three or four years, they're coming in now asking, hey, doc, what about COVID? Okay, well, well I got you on the line. Are you still smoking? <laughs> you know, do you want to yeah. come in for your pneumonia vaccine? We're offering that. And so I think that has given us the VA and the way we have dealt with the COVID-19 vaccine, uh, COVID-19 crisis in our country has given us the opportunity to reclaim a lot of veterans that we may have lost because of our the way we've been delivering care. 
So, you know, we've been talking about the primary care model, and it sounds awesome. Like, it's nothing but benefits. <laughs> um, what are some of the hurdles that you, you deal with, with with delivering care like this? And, and how, do you, how do you navigate those? How do you get around those? So, um, just in general, when COVID hit, um, you know, as a primary care provider, I like to have the services of my additional PAC team members. So when we say PAC team, we say primary patient aligned care team. And in a in a normal world setting, I would actually have a nurse available um, and an LPN that would be able to assist me. But during the time of COVID, some of our nurses were sent over to the inpatient service to help out over there. And because of that, we had to adjust the means of communicating for our um, veterans. Sometimes they were unable to reach our nursing staff because our nursing staff was already sent over to the main hospital. And so adjusting to that by trying to show them that there were alternative means of communicating with your primary care team, such as utilizing My Healthy Vet, secure messaging, just trying to adjust the way so that we are still able to be in contact with our, with our patients, despite the hurdles that we have to go through. I think one of the other barriers that we re- we reached to was uh, bandwidth. We realized we did not have enough bandwidth <laughs> to <Yes>. support <laughs> a lot of the virtual visits that we were doing. Like um, technically band, like internet bandwidth? Like okay. internet bandwidth. Okay, we gotcha. did not have yes. enough at sure. our facility and at our PCCs to, and I think in the Valley actually, uh, to support some of the uh, the delivery of care that we wanted to. So that was a little frustrating. Um, but it's not like you can just use 5G. Like you have to have a secure <laughs> network, right? <laughs> well, um you don't have to it the uh, virtual visits were actually are secure but there are only so many lines that you can access at one point in time and, and we were on a national so it wasn't just us it's not just a local thing in new york when they were the having they were using it, you know and in georgia so we were sharing all of our bandwidth for these virtual visits across the country so i think that was one of the things that was noticed kind of early on there was so some of the hurdles that we had to go through a lot of the veterans initially when we were transitioning over to the video visits they would say uh, I was trying to speak to my provider, but they were frozen on the screen. And, um, you know, we would always say, let's try this again. <laughs> mm-hmm. So are you seeing any like common trends among veterans um, since the, you know, since we've reopened for face-to-face care? Um, any concerns that, that we want to make sure that we address that, you know, we want to prompt veterans to look for? I think catching up on the preventive services is one of the things that we have seen um, we have seen uh, colonoscopy, colon cancer screenings. That is something that we wanted, we've had to catch up on a lot of. Um, that in our diabetic retinal screenings, looking for abnormalities in the back of the eyes of the diabetics. Those There are some visits that you can only do in person, and mm-hmm. that is one of them. Uh, so that is one of the, those are some of the drawbacks that I've seen. Um, I don't know, Dr. Tan, do you? Yeah, I was just going to mention, so a lot of the times we as primary care, we would emphasize the importance of preventive screening, but because of the COVID situation, we would encourage the patients to go for their mammograms, or as Dr. Monica mentioned, the retinal screens or the colonoscopies, but they were placed on hold, or there was a little bit of a delay with regards to appointments because of utilizing the necessary safety measures in order to protect people and prevent the spread of COVID. Now that we are slowly starting to open up, we are learning that there are more appointments available and we can start getting these patients in. But the important thing is that they realize that prevention is key and start coming in. I've had some patients who would say, I just want to hold off on it until all of this blows over. Um, And there have been 
um, you know, some news briefs that have said that, you know, a lot of our preventive measures were placed on hold and now detection um, is is getting to the point that, yes, they're coming in, but now it's a little bit too late. So please, the important thing is now that we're starting to open up, get your screenings done. And I would ask for patience too, because um, we have our backlog that we have to catch up on for those that may have been due during our time. And then we have the ones that are now. So we might have, it might be a little while before you get that screening done as we try to kind of catch up and and do what's active now. So just patience with us when we are doing those schedule, when we're doing those screenings, we know we want you to come in and get it. Please don't put it off, but please be patient with us as we get everything scheduled for you. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Uh, Dr. Tan and Dr. Monica. We appreciate you guys being on here and you hear that folks, make sure you get your screenings and this weekend, if you're available and you haven't gotten your vaccine yet, come on down to the uh, medical center. If you're 65 or older. If you're 65 yes. and older. And, and enrolled. Six, and enrolled. And enrolled. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And, 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 and enrolled. Yep. And <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. If you Terms made all those and conditions apply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please make sure you come down and get that, like I said, between seven o'clock in the morning to 530 or while supplies last. First come, first serve. So thank you very much, folks. Have a great day. Thank you. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lasvegasva. Thanks for listening.